Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to talk sports on Saturday here on ESPN 700. For the next two hours, we will cover everything from the Utes, Cougars, Aggies, RSL, and the Jazz to anything happening on the national stage. This is Sports Saturday. This is Sports Saturday, ESPN 700. The next couple hours talking about the latest from the weekend sports. Plenty to talk about with Pac-12 Media Day. We're going to spend the entire first segment going over that, right, Bryce? Yes, we are. <laughs> Plenty to talk about. to talk about. Some stuff got me fired up. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw that yesterday. But what? <laughs> some stuff that George Klyovkov said yesterday. Um, and, uh, we'll also get into, there was, there was some news about Donovan Mitchell this week and Kevin Durant, still no trade, but some news. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. What that is also, I talked about this on Bill's show when I filled in on Thursday, which by the way, thank you again, Bill, for that opportunity. Really grateful for that. Um, but there's a, there's a trade rumor that you've probably heard by now if you're if you're if you're paying attention at all but if you haven't you're going to have to hear it to believe it <laughs> that involves the jazz and a player that uh let's just say has had some altercations with this fan base in the past uh it would be interesting yeah. to say the least we'll talk about that when we talk about the Donovan Mitchell and and Kevin Durant stuff um later in the show uh but we also have a couple of good guests for you uh Bryce we, Bryce you booked uh KSL.com beat writer for the Aggies, Jacob Nielsen. Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, camp just opened up for the Aggies since they yeah. have a week zero game. So uh, they opened up yesterday. They had their media availability on on Thursday that they do prior to camp. So he was able yeah. to be there and, and catch up with them. So we'll get the latest on the Aggies coming up here at 1030. Definitely. And then um... – we will have at 11.30, we will have the great Paul Pugmire. Usually we talk to him on major championship weeks, but a certain local golfer of some notoriety <laughs> won his third, got his third career win in thrilling fashion last week. Yeah, that's Tony Finau, Rose Park's own. Um, comeback, huge comeback win for him. We'll have Paul break that down and... We weren't when we booked him. We weren't anticipating that he would be. He might have back-to-back uh, tour wins. Yeah, but that's he's in, exciting. He's one shot back right now in the Rocket Mortgage in the Rocket Mortgage Classic. So, uh, yeah, super exciting. We'll get his thoughts on that as well. And I'm I'm curious because he he follows it better than most and more and 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 can see things better than most people here in the market. Um, 
as far as why guys are playing so well. So I'm curious to see when he thinks this hot play has started for Tony and, and what's behind it because it felt like Tony was just kind of – he was making cuts he was or, or just missing cuts at, at majors and in a lot of his tournaments this year and kind of just floating around, not winning, not really being in contention. And all of a sudden he, get, he has a great uh, weekend at the Open Championship – parlays that into a win last in a comeback win last week and now he's in position to win again back-to-back weeks he could have his fourth career win this week so I'm interested to hear what Paul Pugmire has to say in his perspective on all that well also I mean live the live tour keeps making news so we'll ask him about that as well and they're they're in action right now at a, a certain uh person's national golf yeah. course in Bedminster New Jersey yeah that's uh yep that's our former president Trump they they don't it's his course they don't seem to care about the controversy yeah <laughs> surrounding their tour when, when it comes to uh with, with live golf I think their motto is like any publicity is good publicity right yeah it's so, the, the old uh, Jerry Jones Dallas Cowboys absolutely thing. yeah absolutely so the more controversy they can they can stir up is probably better for their brand so I'm sure that's why they're going the way that they are Especially with, you know, trying to get Charles Barkley on, pulling him away from TNT, which he's now said he's no longer interested in doing. So we'll see what happens, but it is kind of interesting to see. Uh, hopefully, um, going back to the PGA Tour, hopefully we can see Tony with another win this weekend. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get you leaderboard updates for both the Rocket Mortgage and the Live Tour because, hey, it's like what Bill said when the Live Tour, when the London event, their first event, took off. Hey, the PGA can't control what, what leaderboard we give here. Brought to you by Salt Lake City Golf Courses, all right? Here on ESPN 700, you can't control that, yeah. all right? <laughs> so we're going to give you both um, in case you're interested in both there. It, so And there's plenty of news with that. But we got a ton to get to with Pac-12 Media Day, Bryce. What I figured for this segment, we, I cut up a bunch of sound clips and I think I think it'd be best just to play them, and then we we just kind of react to them because there's a ton that George Klyovkov said, there's a ton that Mark Harlan said, and a lot that Kyle Whittingham said that I think uh, really good stuff on the future of the conference and the future of the sport, really. So uh, let's start out with uh, George Klyovkov from his opening address yesterday in L.A. He talked about how he's disappointed, how the, they and the, he and the conference are disappointed by uh, USC and UCLA's decision to leave for the Big Ten in a couple years. As a conference, we are, of course, very disappointed by the decisions by USC and UCLA to leave the Pac-12 and a century of tradition and rivalries after 2024. That said, USC and UCLA have been proud members of the Pac-12 for almost a century. Despite their decision, we cherish our relationship with their student-athletes, coaches, staff, faculty, alumni, and fans. For that reason, I have personally instructed everyone at our conference to make sure that USC and UCLA student-athletes are given every opportunity to compete and succeed for as long as they remain in the Pac-12. Yeah, we cut them off a little early there. That's my bad. And as long as they, as long as they stay in the Pac-12. So, interesting stuff there. I mean, obviously you'd expect him to say they're disappointed. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting to hear him say that. Hey, while they're here, they're 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 ours. So let's make sure we treat them the same way. 
uh, for as long as they're going to be here. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and we've seen uh, some conferences um, lash out. I, I believe it's like the Ohio Valley Conference came out and said that a couple of their uh, the teams that were leaving their conference weren't able to compete in their conference championship games. Uh, that kind of punishes the kids more than it does any administration, which the administration is the people who make these decisions. So there's no point in uh, punishing the student athletes for, for decisions that are made above their heads. So I, I think that's the right move. I think so too. Uh, there was a reporter in the Q&A that he had right after that that said, hey, you said that you're still going to support them while they're here. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And then the reporter just kind of said, why? That's <laughs> a follow-up. And Klyovkov just said, well, because it's the right thing to do. And yeah. they're still part of our conference. And, and like you say, thinking about the, uh, the players and the student-athletes, it's not fair to them that these decisions that have nothing to do with them would affect how people and, and – administrations and things across the conference are treating them so i think it's the right thing to do it's just interesting because what we've been hearing is everything has been vitriol right (laughs) when it comes to that and so that's kind of what we expected is we didn't expect to hear him say like offer like an olive branch to them for the remaining time that they'll be in the conference he also said something interesting in his q a about how Someone asked, "Is there any chance that the that USC and UCLA change their minds and can and actually remain with the conference? Is there any chance of that happening?" And he said, "He said, listen, there's a lot going on with UCLA and the California Board of Regent University of California Board of Regents." He says that if I were to, if either one of them were to come back, it would probably be UCLA. But he also said it's very unlikely. So he kind of left the door open for the possibility of that, but. Doesn't seem like he believes that. I don't think anyone does, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, yeah. I don't think it's possible. I think it's more of just a move, like by uh, Governor Gavin Newsom. We saw him come out. I think I don't know what his move there is specifically, but for them to go after UCLA and 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 kind of twist them up, I don't think it's going to change anything. It's just going to cause more headaches for them. Exactly. Uh, let's move on. And uh, he had some stuff to say, uh, the stuff that we were expecting to hear from him. He didn't really break news. Um, but that being said, he did talk about how he's bullish on the future of the conference. Moving ahead, we are bullish about the Pac-12's future and our opportunities for long-term growth, stability, and success. Our conference boasts 10 of the most iconic and innovative brands in all of sports, all-around excellence in academics and athletics, and a half dozen of the most valuable markets in this country. Over the past four weeks, we've been directed by our board to focus the work related to the future of the conference into three work streams. First, we will continue the work we had already started last year to enhance the value of our media rights. This work includes the creation of new made-for-television events, elevating our non-conference competition, and adding new revenue streams. So yeah, of course he's going to say that he likes the future of the conference, even though all the evidence is saying (laughs) the future of the conference looks kind of bleak right now. But uh, we have heard that uh, ESPN does like the 
late games, the Pac-12 after dark games, which we'll get a sound clip about that, about the media rights negotiations specifically here. We've heard that, so that's reason for optimism for sure. And it was interesting that he mentioned the three things that they've that they've done to try to enhance the brand of the conference. He talked about made-for-TV events, and he specifically said, as an example later on, that that's the Pac-12 baseball and softball tournaments that started last year. That's some newly added made-for-TV events. Um, and then enhancing their already made-for-TV events, the Pac-12 championship game, by making it so the two the top two teams record-wise in the conference, regardless of division, qualify for the champion the football championship game instead of just the division leaders, which I, I thought was a no-brainer, and I think it really does enhance – has a chance to enhance the product depending on how good the conference is um, year in and year out. And then the last thing he talked about, new revenue streams, they actually began selling their data to online sports books. Something you're familiar with, yes. right, Brett? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know I know you like to put down some money every once in a while. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so they, they were the first conference to sell their data to online sports books and really lean into the sports gambling thing and, yeah. when it comes to Pac-12 the Pac-12 conference, which makes sense given George Klyovkov's background. He was a sports book. Uh, he was over some sports books in Las Vegas before this, and, and yeah. uh, among other things, and over MGM Entertainment in Las Vegas before this. So uh, interesting stuff there, and I think they, I think he's right about those three things really helping the conference, but I just feel like it's – if that's all it is, even with a good media rights deal, you may not have enough for the Pac-12 to survive. Yeah. Um, and he does make a good, I think it's later on, but he makes a good point that um, they are next to negotiate right after the Big Ten gets done with their ne- negotiations, which helps. Um, as soon as they can get that done, they'll know the numbers and they'll be able to start, uh, schools will be able to start making their decisions. The one thing that came up in my mind while he was talking in this previous clip was that he mentions the Pac-12 has 10 brands that are still really big brands and really valuable and they can stick together. They're valuable, but we went back and counted through the transcript. How many times he actually talked about Oregon, Utah, Washington, who are arguably the three top brands of those 10. Um, and there were 13 mentions of UCLA throughout the whole, his whole, uh, transcript. And then there were, um, 11 mentions of USC. There were only two, of Oregon, two of Utah, and one of Washington. So it seems like um, it, it. It seems like Klavkov didn't put enough attention on what the Pac-12 has left, rather than UCLA and USC leaving. Yeah, Pac-12. That's a good point by you, and I, I imagine that's a, that was a talking point on Cougar Sports on 960 as well. Good point by you and, and Ben Criddle on that. Um, I I did not go through the transcript, so that's some, that's new to me. Yeah, I I don't know if I don't know if that's great. Yeah, <laughs> it seemed like the whole it feels theme like you should be of, selling that yeah, instead of what talk. we have instead of what we're losing. Yeah, and I mean the other thing you mentioned those three as far as uh, football and um, you know overall sports performance. Those are the three brands: Utah, Oregon, Washington, but. 
I mean, Stanford and Cal are in an enviable spot as far as media market goes. They got yep. the Bay Area there, too. So that's also very – that makes them very valuable. And Stanford, outside of football, has been competitive in a lot of sports of late, too. And, listen, David Shaw's a good coach. That It's just a matter of time before they're back to being a good football product as well. So, I mean, they've got four or five really good brands left. Um the three you mentioned, and then I think Stanford and Cal, because of their media market, I, I agree with you. I feel like it would have been better if he focused more on that and less on what are we going to do about USC and UCLA yeah. leaving. Exactly. Um, that's, a good, that's a good segue into the next clip, which is about the media rights negotiations. We have initiated our media rights negotiations. We are in the enviable position of being next to market after the Big Ten. We already have significant interest from potential partners, including both incumbents and new traditional television, and most importantly, digital media partners. Man, that, that editing by me, not great this morning. <laughs> but anyway, digital media partners is what he was saying there. Um, which you got to think he's probably talking to Apple. He's probably talking to yeah. Amazon. Um, is part of ESPN Plus is part of his his negotiations with ESPN. I think that's a really smart move as like secondary rights partners. Um, and we've heard John Wilner and John Canzano report that they ESPN really likes Pac-12 After Dark because it allows them to fill the time on Saturdays um, that they need to fill with right. games, uh, whether it's on any of their network, any of their regular traditional networks or ESPN plus. So I think that puts him in it. I think he's right. It puts him in a good position to uh, secure a really good deal. Now the real, we can talk about how it can be a really good deal. And then we got it, but we really got to see the numbers and see how much money it's actually going to be. Cause that's going to determine really a lot of what the future of the conference is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's got to be at least in the 30s, right? I would uh, 30s per school at um, minimum, I would say. Yeah, to uh, to be sustainable going forward for for the 10 schools. So, um, I, I believe he did mention that um, we might know within the next couple of weeks what those numbers are and, and what the the deals are. So things might be happening here in the next month or so. Um, we saw with last year uh, with the Big 12, it wasn't till September till they introduced the new four schools. So as we get into the season, we could still be dealing with conference realignment Absolutely. stuff as well. Absolutely, so. and and these media rights, this media rights deal, for sure. I, like you said, last year for Big 12, that's how it happened. It could very well happen that way for the pack uh, this year. The other thing he talked about is is why he's bullish as to use his word on the future of the conference is uh that they are looking at expansion opportunities we are actively exploring expansion opportunities as we consider these opportunities we will look at media value athletic strength academic and cultural fit and geography from a recruiting and student athlete experience standpoint as you would expect We've had significant inbound interest and are in the process of evaluating opportunities. So that that was interesting. I don't know that I'm surprised about that. Um, 
the question is who, right? Is it these Mountain West products like San Diego State that's been talked about? Is it uh, people from the Big 12, from another power conference like the Big 12, for example, that's also been talked about? It's been more talked about the other way, Pac-12 teams going to the Big 12. But um, it's also been talked about how it's possible that it could go the other way with Big 12 joining the Pac. Uh, just to add to that, in his Q&A after this address, he took some veiled shots at some conferences. There's one that got a – the one that he said about the Big 12 got all the attention, but one that I took notice of that didn't get much attention was – I feel like was directed at the Big 10 where he said, we're proud that we're taking location and geography into consideration when it comes to expansion. And he mentioned it in his in that last clip of how they're thinking about the well-being and the the – travel demands that they're putting on the student athletes you've heard you heard kevin warren say that it doesn't matter geography doesn't matter earlier right. this week it's all about the money <laughs> yeah i felt like that was a veiled shot at the big 10 saying hey we're proud that we're taking geography and location into consideration okay right thank you king george yes. <laughs> for that also and and with king i think king george should be his new nickname because he's he's talking about how UCLA will probably be Beck, right? Uh, like yeah. from Hamilton, right? So we'll see. Uh, then he had the Big 12 one that everyone's probably heard of at this point, where he told when your, the new commissioner, Brett Yormark, said they're open for business. Well, George Klyovkov said, we're not sure we're shopping there yet. So right. <laughs> good stuff there. Love the pettiness. Um, it's almost like yeah. it's identical to last year with Bob Bowlesby taking shots at uh, ESPN for, for the college football up, playoff. Yeah, yeah, for breaking up uh, the Big Twelve and the Big Twelve. And, excuse me. Yeah, making that whole thing happen. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, to see. It's like it's almost identical from last year, <laughs> just a different conference, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, let's move on to the next one here. I wanted to get some. I wanted to have you guys hear some uh, some of the things that Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan said because I feel like it goes hand these next couple of clips go hand in hand with what uh, the commissioner said about the future of the conference. The first one here, he talked about how the the ten remaining schools we've heard this before are very tethered, and it's not and that's not just a talking point; it's actually a real thing. I think what's become very clear to me consistently is that the ten of us. If we can stay together, and I think that I think we really can, I think we're going to see a very good uh, media deal that will make a lot of sense for us. We know our board is authorized to explore expansion. George and his team have been incredible, showing us different possibilities and the, the pros and, and, and minuses of those things. Um, so the good news is, is being next up in the media deal gives you a lot of leverage to, to be able to know what you got, what you have, and to talk to other schools about it if they're interested. So yeah, he echoed what the commissioner said about how they feel like they're in an enviable position following being right behind the Big Ten who just got a record TV deal for their conference. Being next in line, they know exact they know what the next best things are and they feel like they can get a good haul for that. And uh sounds like it's not just the commissioner that's optimistic about that, but ADs like our very own one here in Salt Lake City, uh for the University of Utah, Mark Harlan. Yeah, um, and one thing that I would say is that uh, if they if they think they're going to go towards an unequal revenue share um, where Oregon or Washington and even Utah get more than the rest, that just never works out, right? Yeah. 
those ideas just never work out. So I'm interested to see if Oregon is going to take the same amount of money as Washington, Utah, or even Oregon State, right? It seems like Phil Knight is, has been pushing. We've heard reports from John Canzano, also Jason Shear, Wildcat Authority, that uh, Phil Knight's been calling around, He's and it, it's almost turning other schools away. Um, but I don't know. We're going to see. I, I, I just think that Oregon might think that they're worth more than uh, what they actually are, and they'll want that unequal revenue sharing, which never ends up happening. But we'll see what happens. Um, if they can keep all the schools together, I think it'll be uh, a great feat on their part. Um, one other thing I did want to add, a, a report from John Canzano on Thursday. Um, one of his sources says, there's no doubt in my mind that San Diego State is the number one target, without a doubt, should the Pac-12 decide to go forward with expansion. Well, there you go. So uh, it looks like San Diego State's on the board. I don't know. You'd probably want a second school to come in with them. Yeah, I, you you want to have it stay an even number yeah. because it helps with scheduling and, and the whole thing. And um, So I would think that they are looking at someone else as well there. But, yeah, I mean, that that's like one of the worst-kept secrets is that they're interested in having yeah. San Diego State. I think they're a good product. San Diego is not the L.A. market, but it's still the Southern California market, and it's still a decent one. Yeah. And it's an, it's an up-and-coming – they're on the rise in football and men's basketball, the two highest uh, revenue sports in college athletics. So they would be a good ad, I think. Um, I would, I think you'd prefer to try to poach, if you will, someone from who's already in a Power Five conference like the right. Big Twelve, then add San Diego State. But like you say, it's probably more realistic to add someone like San Diego State, which is a pretty good choice as well. Yep. Um, Mark Harlan also said that the ten remaining schools have a ton of have a lot of value in media rights. When he he was asked by uh, by Bill Riley, the voice of the Utes, what has the commissioner shared with you over the last month? And that that was kind of his response. Here it is: value, value. Um... You know, we lost two schools that were valuable, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and be disingenuous about that. Sure. There's no question. But there's a lot of really great brands, universities, and cities that are still tethered together in a region of the country that uh, is important to the media partners. Okay, so yeah, um, I, think, I think that was well said. Um, I think it's a little wishful thinking, though. Yeah. <laughs> I like that he acknowledged that, hey, we're not going to like, for lack of a better word, we're not going to gaslight you about <laughs> about the remaining value here. We obviously lost some value by losing the LA schools, but um, I think there could be some truth to there still being a lot of value in the remaining markets. We talked about the value in the actual performance performance based value that earlier with some of the schools, and there's still some big markets in the pack. If it just stays at ten. Still, I just don't. I still think, though, that that can't be long term enough when it comes to the survival of the conference. Yeah, exactly. It's we're tethered together until we see these numbers, and whichever the bigger number is, is the one we'll take, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, and even if they decide to stay in the pack 10 or 12, um, Going forward, you're right. I don't think it's very sustainable for the long term. And eventually, 
they're going to have to make a jump somewhere. So maybe we'll see them stay for two years until 2024, and then they, they make a decision to to go somewhere else. But yeah, it just all depends on those numbers. Yeah, we are, we're running out of time here. There's more I want to get to. Um, the commissioner had some things to say about the changing landscape you know, globally in college football. He talked about NIL. He talked about um, treating athletes as employees and his, his feelings on on what that would do to the sport and uh, the conference. And Witt had some, had some great things to say as well about the future of the sport and the conference as well. We're going to have to, we're going to have to hold those off for later, maybe in the, in the next hour, when we have our uh, open segment in the next hour, we can get to those clips. Uh, Those, those are honestly the things that got me the most fired up were this, were some of the things he had, the commissioner had to say about that. And I, and, um, I just really enjoyed Kyle Whittingham's perspective on some of those things as well. So we'll get we'll have to get to that later here. Uh, we do have to head to a break because we got to welcome in our next guest, Bryce. It's the the Aggie season gets started in less than a month again in less than a month against UConn on August twenty seventh, week zero. Training training camp got started yesterday. Camp Blake, if you will. We'll get the vibe around around Aggies camp with KSL.com. Aggies writer Jacob Nielsen next. This is Sports Saturday with Bryce Larson and James Peterson on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back to Sports Saturday. ESPN 700, James Peterson here, Bryce Larson there, Olivia Benyon behind the glass, pushing the buttons for us, keeping us on track, appreciate her, and uh, talked a lot about Pac-12 Media Day, we got more to talk about later, Bryce, lots of interesting things that Commissioner George Klyovkov, King George, if you will, had to say (laughs) on the podium, Uh, Mark Harlan had some good thoughts as well. Uh, we'll get to more of it later in the show because there's some other things that I don't think were as good <laughs> that George Klyovkov had to say that I got some things to talk about with, all right? I got some thoughts on. Um, but right now, we'll transition to a team up way up north, right? We got a team down south yeah. in Provo. We got the team way up north in Logan, Utah State getting their training camp started. And we got uh, KSL.com Aggies writer Jacob Nielsen on the phone to talk all about it with us. Jacob, how you doing? What's going on, fellas? Not too much. You know what they say about Logan. Well, well, You're so far up north on a clear night. You can see the northern lights from, from the, the Arctic Circle. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I think we got to get hashtag team way up north going. T- <laughs> team down south. Be the north. We the North, there we it the is. North. There it is. We'll steal the Raptors uh, right. saying there. Uh, Jacob, so it's got start, fall camp getting started yesterday. Is Camp Blake catching on up there? Because we got Camp Kalani in Provo. We like to call it Camp Kyle here in Salt Lake City. Is there is there a Camp Blake happening? I got to say this is uh, the first I've heard of Camp Blake, <laughs> but uh, it sounds like something we got to – yet another catchphrase we need, need to get going got to start pushing it. Hey, uh, you wrote a story on, on KSL.com there. Uh, four key storylines as fall camp begins for Utah State. 
So what are the biggest concerns or storylines for Utah State as, as they're kicking off camp here yesterday? Well, I think probably the first one that comes to mind is one that I actually did not write about in that story because I had touched on it several other times. But I think the, the wide receiver group is a huge storyline just because of how many guys they have lost from last year to graduation and Brandon Bowling, Derek Ride, and Devin Tompkins. And so there's a pretty pretty talented class there of guys. Um, Brian Cobbs come, comes in from Maryland. Justin McGriff returns and in the slot. Kyle Van Leeuwen is back, as is Nai uh, Nai Davis. And Terrell Vaughns is a JUCO transfer that should get some time. So that'll be interesting to see um, how those guys can transition into keeping the offense as productive as it can be. So I, I would say the wide receivers first. And then in the article, I wrote about a couple of positions. One I'll touch on here is the striker position. And that's kind of like the nickelback, the hybrid linebacker safety. And that's something that defensive coordinator Ephraim Banda, he, uh, he kind of established up here in Logan, the striker position. And there was, a guy, Anthony Switzer, an Arkansas State transfer that was set to take over for Cash Gilliam, who graduated last year. And Switz got a towards ACL in the spring game. And so he, he's most likely out for the whole season, medical redshirt. And so that's the big question mark is who's going to step up there? Is it going to be Kaleo Nevis, who is a, a junior who is in the program for a while but doesn't have a ton of in-game experience? Or are they going to maybe transition – one of the safeties to come in and play. So that'll, that'll be something that we're going to see during fall camp is who are they going to use to be that starting striker on the defense. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Bryce. Uh, just going back to that, um, your, your thoughts on the wide receiver room, I just wanted to ask you about Devin Tompkins and Derek Wright. Both of them had, I believe, multiple years of eligibility left due to COVID. So what – have they talked about what went into their decision to, to move on to go to the NFL? And, and do you think it was the right decision in your opinion? Yeah, I, I want to say off the top of my head, Derek Wright did not have eligibility. Gotcha. But Devin Tompkins did have, you're right. Devin Tompkins did have one year. And I think uh, for DT, I don't think it was a very tough decision for him just because I think naturally just the progression, like it was his fourth year and, um, just his mindset was he was a senior, right? He was getting his degree. But then also, your stock's not going to get any higher than it is after last year if you're GT because he's shown all the tool set, every team that he has to offer. But obviously, he's not going to grow before next year, right? Like, he can try to put salt in his shoes. It's, it's not going to work out for him. So this was his best chance to really crack into the NFL is get an amazing year and use that momentum to – side on a team and that's what he's done and uh so far i had a chance to talk to him in uh in july uh, i i guess it's still july huh but anyways i had a chance to talk to him in july and he is he's loving life he's down in south florida right near his hometown of fort myers and just learning the playbook getting simulated with the guys and uh he's gonna make a push to try to get on that roster as is Derek wright who's currently in camp right now so yeah so both those guys um it's exciting to see that they were able to take the momentum of such a successful senior year and turn it into sort of an opportunity for themselves to maybe make some noise in the pros. And uh, Jacob, your uh, article yesterday 
in there, you mentioned that there's some uncertainty on the offensive line going into camp with guys who are graduating, some starters who are graduating, and a guy who is likely going to be a starter in Quazel White being suspended. What's the outlook in regards to the O-line, and who's expected to fill those holes? Yeah, so it was unfortunate with Quazel White that he's released from the team. Um, he That's a big blow for the team. And then also, Dimitri Kaliafua, of there were so many guys who graduated last year, right? But he was he was a big one that maybe has gotten overlooked just because of his his leadership and kind of the temperament that he had. I think that he was an, an incredible guy for that group, and so replacing him is a big ass on and off the field. But um, so far, what it, what it's looking like, the name that I've heard from a lot of different people in the coaching staff and stuff that they really like at that right guard position is Waylon Lapau, who is a true freshman out of Bingham. And there's a chance that he, in his first fall camp, he's going to go in and take the starting job. Now, that's not guaranteed. There's there's other guys that have been around. Wade Meekum is a guy that's going to push for one of those starting guard positions, as is Cole Moats and a couple of other youngsters. So, But, it, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if uh, they can uh, – have the same quality that Quazel White and Dimitri Kalifua added to that position. Now, the positive thing for the offensive line is the other three spots, the two tackle positions in the center, guys come back in their seniors, Chandler Dolphin, Alfred Edwards, and Jacob South, and those guys plenty of experience. And so that's a positive that you still got three or five guys coming back that are seniors and know what it's about know how to win but uh yeah they're definitely going to have to they're gonna have to see who steps up in fall camp and like i said i think that this whaling kid is who's impressed the most and as a true freshman as an offensive lineman which we don't see all the time right that you see maybe like a, a skill position a wide receiver can come in and make a direct impact as a freshman but for an o-line guy to come in without the years of development and be producing that that says a lot about that kid and his potential and that might be the case with this with this uh, Wayland kid from Bingham. So staying on the offensive side of the ball, um, let's go to the signal caller. I know Logan Bonner missed spring ball, right, due to an injury. Um, he also didn't play in the bowl game, but it's Cooper Lega that led uh, Utah State to the win there. And he also had a pretty good spring. So tell me, is there going to be a quarterback competition in, in fall practices this year? There's not going to be a quarterback competition. Logan Bonner has the starting role all locked down but what I will say is he is injury prone and we saw that last year there were scary moments last year where he was hit and had to go off the field and I mean he was such a gritty dude he keep coming back and then after every game he's just sitting in the the ice bath for hours and so he's a guy that when he gets knocked down he'll get back up but like we saw in the bowl game he hurt his knee and he was out for several months so there's no QB competition for that for the starting role, but for Cooper Lega and Levi Williams, the transfer from Wyoming, who will like, he's likely going to be the third string guy. There still is like a, there's a mentality of we got to be ready to go and we got to be ready to compete because they know that just there's a chance that Logan may not survive the whole season in terms of attrition. And so he's the man. Logan's the leader of the offense. As long as he's healthy, he'll be the guy. But definitely Cooper Lega got impressed in spring. Um, 
I, his his arm talent is just phenomenal, and he's he's a little bit mobile too. But just in the short years that he's been in Logan, it just seems like his passing ability has improved so much. And he's somebody that I think the coaching staff feels comfortable coming in and leading an offense if need be. But it's definitely not a, a competition for that first spot. As long as Logan Bonner is healthy, he's the guy. All right, hey, I wanted to ask you about this. I thought this was this was very interesting. So the Action Network back in April reported that uh, there's multiple $1,000 bets on the Aggies to win the college football playoff uh, championship. So what's going on there in Logan? Is there something we need to know? I, I, I'm wondering the same thing. Is <laughs> something shady going on? Does someone have a time machine? Look, they've got Alabama on the schedule, but I think they'd have to beat them twice in the same season if, if, we're gonna, <laughs> if those bets are going to pay out. So that's exactly... Blake Anderson was asked this question during spring ball. And they were like, what do you think? And that's exactly what he said. He said, well, I don't know, but I know we'll have to beat Bama twice if we're going to do that. So um, would be the craziest thing in the world, obviously. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that works out for whoever that was that placed those bets in the, the Caesar Sportsbook. But I don't know, maybe, maybe a marketing ploy to get news out about the book. I don't know. But you never know with Vegas. They seem to know things before we do. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some time travel. I think you're on to something there, Jacob. <laughs> um, talking with Jacob Nielsen, uh, Aggies writer for KSL.com here on Sports Saturday. You're on ESPN 700. James Peterson and Bryce Larson with you. And uh, Jacob, it, w- it was just a little bit curious to me in your article. It didn't mention any of the controversy surrounding the program in regards to you know sexual crime committed by some USU players the last few years. Um, and the comments that that Coach Anderson made last summer about sexual assault victims, I'm just curious: did that subject ever come up either in spring or um, yesterday at the start of training camp in the media availability? And um, what do you know about what Coach Anderson has said he's doing to try to earn back the trust of the community and address those issues? To be honest with you, I don't think Blake Anderson ever lost the trust of the community with his comments. Um, obviously he probably said some things that he regretted, but the full context, if you read the transcript of everything that he told his team that day, he said, one thing he said is if you actually did something wrong, you deserve everything that's coming for you. And so that's something I know that the president of the university and Noel Cockett and the athletic director, John Hartwell, they had his back through that whole situation a hundred percent. And so that's something that at least in Logan is, it's kind of a, I wouldn't even say it's swept under the rug. It's just, it's, it's a non-issue anymore. There's a lot of trust in Blake Anderson and his character and the team all rallied to say, no, 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 he's our guy. And so that's something that is not really a question nine months, eight months after the fact that all that was kind of in the news. So one thing you did um, add into that article about Blake Anderson is kind of the trials that he's gone through um, with losing his, his wife, a while ago and then also now he's lost his son just a couple months ago um what has he kind of come out and said what has he talked about how he's been able to cope with that and how it's affected his role as head coach of the Aggies yeah he was he spoke a little bit publicly about that in the 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 media day for Utah State on Thursday and obviously when you tragically lose your son as he lost 
one of his sons in February. I uh, I don't really know how he is coping. I know he, unfortunately, he's had experience battling grief because he lost his wife to cancer and he lost his father. And some of those things have been very public and he's been very open about them. But I know that he he's a man that, um, uh, like his faith, and that for a lot of people that's a talking point, but I know for Blake Anderson, like um, just talking about his religious views and his faith, that's something that he really holds on to and those family values. And so I know that's something that he's really relying upon right now. Um, he's a professional, right? So he's going to come out, he's going to do his job, but definitely um, something that is interesting to see is a team preparing for a season, but then sometimes you got to step back and be like, how important is this when awful real life things can occur? And so, yeah, so we're, the community is uh, praying for him, wishing the best for him. And I, I feel awful about, about what's happened for him. It's, it's a, it's a tough situation, but he's, like I said, he's a professional. He's going to keep coming out, coaching the team and uh, hopefully be able to balance everything. A uh, couple more things for you, Jacob, and then we'll let you loose here. Uh, one thing we just wanted to know, what the, with the vibe up there, what are some expectations for this team coming off? They had a really good season last year, their best in in a few years here, um, in the win over Oregon State and the you know, Power 5 team and the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, a team that beat Utah. I know that, that was something that a lot of people were proud of up there mm-hmm. after that win. What are some expectations going into Blake Anderson's second year um, for the Aggies. Well, I think Utah State fans would want me to let the record show that to get to that bowl game, we beat San Diego State, who also beat Utah Yeah, hey, State. you're <laughs> right, two teams. That's right, that's right. But, no, I mean, I I think the expectations are through the roof in a lot of ways. Obviously, it's a completely different vibe because – it's one thing when you really got nothing to lose and you just go into a season trying to prove everyone wrong like they did last year. And now, obviously, this go-around, they're still getting overlooked in some regards. Like, they were picked third in the division. Um, none of their players were voted onto the preseason All-Mountain West team. But at the same time, they're the defending champions. And with that comes expectations. With that, you're going to be circled on opposing team's calendar. And so the goal is to run it back. And I know that people – on the coaching staff believe that this team might be more talented than last year's team. I don't know if I would go as far to say that because of the value that guys like Devin Tompkins and Nick Henninger brought to the team, but they think that with a full year of development with the coaching staff, along with some of the new transfers that they brought in, like MJ Tafisi from Washington and Daniel Greziak from Nevada, they think that the talent level has been elevated. And so because of that, the expectation is to once again win the Mountain West Championship. But this year, maybe they're like, let's host it. Let's not rely on the fate of San Diego State having to beat Boise State on the last game of the season. Let's go and win this thing outright and leave no doubt with time to go, you know? So that's, I think that's the mentality that they have. It's going to be tough because it's not a very favorable schedule in terms of the home versus away slate. You got to go on the road, on the road to Boise, on the road to, to Hawaii, which is an always always a difficult trip. On the road to Wyoming, they get Air Force at home, but 
most most of the big games are going to be road games, and so they're going to have to prove it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys. There's 12 starters coming back from last year from a team that won the championship. Plenty of leaders return, and they fully expect that they they understand it's not going to be a walk in the park, but they expect to come back and uh, do some damage again. We're chatting with uh, Jacob Nielsen, uh, contributor for KSL.com, covers the Aggies. So, Jacob, we'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, give me your thoughts on the landscape of college football with conference realignment and how <laughs> it could possibly affect the Mountain West Conference with San Diego State somewhat. You know, We've heard rumors of them possibly being a target for the Pac-12 and how it could possibly affect Utah State as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard just as much as, as you guys have, right? It, it sounded like there might be some legitimacy to that San Diego State going to the Pac-12 rumor. I, I mean, the reality is for a team to add value to a conference, that those TV deals are split up against, they're split up. Every program gets the share, right? So you add more teams in, that's less money divvied up. So the idea is a team has got to completely elevate the value of the whole TV market. And I guess they think that San Diego State could be that, bringing in the Southern California market. We'll see if that happens. One thing I'll say how it's affected Utah State the most, obviously if the Mountain West stays pad and maybe loses some teams or if they get aggressive, which I don't think they're going to, and maybe become a premier G5. Besides that, I'll tell you the one thing that has affected Utah State the most in conference realignment, and that is losing the in-state games. The first round of conference realignment, they lost the Utah game when Utah went to the Pac-12. I know they played a couple of times. But then the same thing happened this year. BYU goes to the Pac-12, excuse me, to the Big 12. They lose the BYU game. And I'm, I'm telling you, these playing BYU and playing Utah, for the average Joe fan up here, that's, that's what it's about. Like, conference championship is exciting, but a game against San Jose State in November, it's probably not going to move the needle. But if you're able to play at least BYU once a year, and even back in the day when you are playing Utah every couple of years, those those games have so much value for the program and bring so much excitement into the Valley. And so to lose those, lose those natural rivalries with schools that they really want to knock off, I think that's the biggest blow for Utah State in this whole thing, is especially that, that BYU game, because that was a staple, you know, the classic Friday night before general conference. That was something that mattered to this program. And, that I mean, that's a game that they'll sell out. They they, they don't feel Maverick Stadium. Like, that doesn't happen too often. But when BYU comes to town, it, I mean, it fills up, right? And it moves the needle. And now losing that is probably the biggest blow just in terms of fandom and excitement for the team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, going forward how that affects the uh, the program. And uh, great thoughts on that. We really appreciate you, you coming on, Jacob. Have a good rest of your weekend. Yeah, I appreciate you, fellas. All right, that's Jacob Nielsen, uh, Aggies writer for KSL.com. Some good, good thoughts on at the end there about losing these natural rivalry games and what that does to the excitement around the program and maybe and, and probably the revenue for the program as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how they adjust to that going forward because BYU has said that they're that they are probably not going to renew that rivalry. Utah yeah. has long since renewed that rivalry. Even with Boise State as well, BYU's not going to play them anymore. Right. That's the uh, worst part of conference realignment. Yeah, those, Absolutely. T- those two rivalries were so 
have been so big for BYU, especially when you're not playing Utah necessarily every year, uh, to have those secondary rivalries. Uh, yeah, that's tough for those Mountain West teams. And I think it's a little tough for BYU fans as well, but uh, obviously the excitement of going to a Power 5 <laughs> yeah. conference overshadows that for right. sure. Um, on the other side, because we do have to head to a break, Kyler Murray and the, and the Arizona Cardinals certainly ha- made some waves this week with his homework clause in the contract. Um, we'll discuss it next. You're listening to Sports Saturday with James Peterson and Bryce Larson on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Sports Saturday, ESPN 700. James Peterson, Bryce Larson behind the mics here in our Valley Collision studio of ESPN 700, downtown Salt Lake City. Olivia Benyon behind the glass producing the thing for us. Appreciate her. She's been doing a ton of work for us, too. I know Bill appreciates her for all the, all the shows she's been producing, for the Bill Riley show the last few weeks. And uh, I mean, her golf tour is making a lot of <laughs> making a lot of waves. The live tour. I'm a busy girl. Yeah, I I mean that's that's been a really lucrative thing for you. The live tour, huh, Liv? For sure, making bank. <laughs> making bank with the Saudis. Um, we're not going to talk about golf right now, though. That's coming up uh, next hour, which is fast approaching we'll, we'll wind down the the first hour here with some talk about Kyler murray and the arizona cardinals he and the homework clause bryce yes. uh so let's let's catch everyone up here so last week he signs a five-year 230 million dollar extension 160 million guaranteed that's a lot of money. obviously yeah obviously a very lucrative contract one that he was literally begging for uh in what was it february march scrubbed he, his instagram of everything Arizona Cardinals. Right, we heard his we heard his uh, agents, his agencies, representatives talking about how, saying some strong words about how they they need to pay Kyler Murray, need to pay him top dollar. Well, the Cardinals now it took months, but they finally said, yeah, okay, we'll give you your contract, but uh, we're gonna throw this little thing in, we're gonna throw this little addendum in here that says, hey, you got to study more. And to be fair, they're not saying study more. No one knew what his study habits. Still, yeah. No one still really knows what his study habits are, but it implied that they weren't good. <laughs> I say by requiring him, the clause is the independent study, independent film study addendum in his contract. They're calling it the homework clause, which I love. Um, it said he was required to complete four hours per week during the season of film study by himself, not including the team film sessions. Um, and if he'd been caught watching videos or playing video games playing on the tablet, duty. <laughs> right on the tablet provided to him by the team to watch the film during the time that he's supposed to be doing that, his contract could go into default, which would be pretty crazy and, and a pretty, pretty bad thing for him. Right. Well, Thursday night. So after like three, four days of national radio, local, local shows here, uh, talking about that, well, Thursday night the team decides to make a statement saying that they've pulled the addendum out of his contract. So that's no longer 
contractually required of Kyler Murray as of Thursday night. Here's a statement from the Cardinals about it. After seeing the distraction it created, we removed the addendum from the contract. It was clearly perceived in ways that we never intended or that were never intended. Our confidence in Kyler Murray is as high as it's ever been, and nothing demonstrates our belief in his ability to lead this team more than the commitment reflected in his contract. And then I think it was a little bit after that. It may have been on Friday. Uh, regardless, at some point this week, Kyler Murray held a press conference. and but I feel like he kind of gaslit the media, say, basically saying, do you guys really believe I could be as effective as I've been as a quarterback without studying the film? He didn't really answer the questions about his film study habits. He just kind of said, okay, you guys are the idiots for thinking that I could be this good without studying film. It's like, look, man. We're not the ones questioning your study habits. We didn't put that in your contract. Yeah. We're just trying to figure out why it was there. Yeah. Look, there's a reason why it was there. And to come out and say that, obviously, there are quarterbacks like Brett Favre who have played in the NFL, and Ty Detmer had to teach Brett Favre what a nickel defense was. <laughs> yeah, I was remember like two that. two years into his career in the NFL. Probably more than that. I remember hearing that story, yeah. yeah. Crazy. So you're telling me if Brett Favre was kind of just this guy off the cuff, like there are athletes that can play football um, that don't really need to study as much just because they're athletically gifted, right? Um, Tom Brady, not one of those dudes. Tom Brady's made his pay coming just working harder than anybody has ever worked in the NFL. That's how Tom Brady's become Peyton Brady. Manning, even though he had a lot of natural talent, you could just tell by the way he talked about the exactly. game, the way that he played, how much he how much homework he did every game too. It was it was like he anticipated every move and Brady is much the same way. Anticipate every move the defense would do yeah. and held it against him. You don't do that without film study. And there's a reason why this uh part of his contract was leaked to the media, right? You got to wonder, was it Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, who wanted to put some pressure on Kyler because of his offseason fiasco that he had where he scrubbed his social media? He didn't want anything to do with yeah, the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe a little Cardinals. revenge play by the organization. We're going to pay you the money, but listen, this is what you're going to do, and, and we're going to leak this out and so that the pressure, so that you are held accountable by the media, right? Uh, that could have been the play there. So there's always a reason why these things get leaked and yeah. why these things come out. And I talked about this filling in for Bill Riley on the Bill Riley show on Thursday with uh, Everett Gray. Um, we talked about how there's got to have been there's got to be something that hasn't come out yet. And this was this was Thursday, this was Thursday mid-afternoon, so this was before they took it out of the contract. Um, but there had to have been something that the team, the coaches, someone's saw something about his study habits. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they didn't see him. Maybe they weren't actually watching him study or or not study. Whatever the case may be. Maybe it's just the decisions that he made in some games at the at, down the stretch last year. Because he they started as hot as any team has ever started. Seven and zero last year. He looked like an MVP. And then they finished losing. I think they went five and five to finish the season. And then they had the disaster of a wild card game, particularly Kyler Murray in that game. Right. And I just wonder if someone saw something on the field, his decision-making went, is he watching the film? Because especially in that wild card game, he, like he was, it felt like he thought he was a Ram. Yeah. 
Like the way the amount of interceptions he was throwing, the balls he was throwing. I mean, so I don't know. I just wonder I personally wonder if it was a lot of that and of course you're going to have you're going to have people on the team that spend time with him, whether they be coaches or players, whispering in the ears of people in power saying, Hey man, like I love Kyler, but I don't know how much he studies. And like that had to have gotten the organization, gotten to the top of the organization, and that, like, why else would they put this in the contract? I, that's just my sense. Yeah, I agree with you, and it, it makes a lot of sense. So for Kyler Murray to come out and be like, "Would you guys really believe this?" Like, yeah, because it's happened before. Because <laughs> it's happened before, for sure. Um, yeah, and I, I think I agree with some of the national pundits after uh, Thursday night. And Friday and into the day yesterday when they were they're talking about this being removed from the contract, not necessarily being the best thing for the organization right now before they've actually addressed why it's in there in the first place. Because if you just left it in there, it probably would blow over. Or if you took it out and didn't make a statement, it probably would blow over and we'd move on, especially given that we're now about a month away from the games actually starting. Uh, but now that they've taken it out and they made it so public, such a public thing about, hey, we are taking it out. We trust Kyler. It's become the it's become this talking point. It's given new life to the talking point, and it's given new life to reporters who are going to keep asking, okay, so if it wasn't in here because you were you were concerned about his study habits, then why was it in there? And they're going to keep asking it until they get an answer. So I don't know. It, this feels like it's got new life, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, this dude's playing too many video games. <laughs> yeah, watch the sure. film, Kyler. For sure. Uh, do your homework. Go to bed on time. Okay. Coming up next, what's the latest with with the Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Durant rumors? And yeah, I talked about it. I teased it earlier in the show. If you haven't heard it yet, a trade rumor involving the Jazz and a certain former MVP that you're going to have to hear to believe that's next you're listening to sports saturday with james peterson and bryce larson on utah's number one sports talk espn 700 welcome back to sports saturday espn 700 james peterson bryce larson with you one hour down, into the second hour. We can get to the NBA trade rumors part of the show here. And if we have some time, we'll get into some of those other clips from Pac-12 Media Day here as well. Uh, before we get into those things, though, I've got a couple of things to talk to you guys about here. Road Home Apple Tree. ESPN 700 invites you to be a child advocate. The children at the Road Home need your help to go back to school. Stop by the advocates in Ogden, American Fork, or Murray and pick an apple off the Road Home Apple Tree. Visit the advocates' Facebook page or ESPN700sports.com for more details. And the Sandy Concert Series brought to you by Strong VW is back at Rio Tinto Stadium. Visit our website, ESPN700sports.com for details uh you know what before we get into trade rumors let's talk a little bit more about pac-12 media day if that's okay with you bryce i think i think uh 
Got a few more clips to share with you that from George Klyovkov, kind of more about the sport globally and his feeling about the direction of college football and how it affects the Pac-12 conference. And we got some clips from Kyle Whittingham about uh, his mindset with all the with all the stuff going on, as he said it. Uh, let's start with uh, George Klyovkov. He he started out talking about the Pac-12 always being a leader in benefiting uh, student-athletes. Since the Pac-12 was formed, we've been a leader in supporting student-athletes. I'll give you a few examples. We were the first conference to include student-athletes in our formal governance structure. We provide leadership around student-athlete care in both mental health support and guaranteeing post-competition injury care for four years twice as long as our peer conferences. We guarantee financial support for degree completion. We have always led in the areas of diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice initiatives. And we fought for student-athlete time-demand legislation to ensure the primacy of academics. However, when I look at what is taking place in college sports, I believe that we have collectively lost sight of the student-athlete. We need to recalibrate our approach to ensure our filter for any decision is what is in their best interest. More great editing by me there at the end. Uh, But uh, George Klyovkov, I mean, those are some really good things that he mentioned the Pac-12 has done to support players, making sure they still have um, health benefits, you know, longer than any other conference after they graduate, after they leave school. Uh, so that's a huge thing. Four years after they leave school, they still have um, injury, health care, and things like that. Um, some of the other things he talked about in, in making sure that the that academics are first. I mean, I think I think we can all be on board with those things. Uh, but he. A little bit later, this these were not back-to-back, but a little bit later in his address, then started to talk kind of out of the other side of his mouth about the NIL stuff and talking about what guardrails should be put up. With respect to name, image, and likeness, I believe it is time for the 10 FBS conferences to step in and agree to NIL legislation and a strong, effective, and expeditious enforcement mechanism. All 10 conferences are strongly in favor of student-athletes being able to financially benefit from their NIL. But but, but we also need three simple and obvious guardrails. NIL should not be used as an inducement. NIL should not be used as pay-for-play. And the amount earned as NIL payments should be commiserate with the NIL provided and not a veiled inducement or pay-for-play. Recodifying and enforcing these three simple NIL rules will protect our student-athletes while still allowing them to earn. I got to be honest with you, Bryce, and, and I, I don't agree with, I, mean, I don't disagree with those guardrails. I think that there, there do need to be some things to protect schools. But that last part about them protecting student-athletes, I mean, that's a bunch of BS. None of those would benefit athletes in any way. Zero. They protect the schools. They protect the teams. 
the programs. Athletes having limitations without a voice on any voice in the room on setting those limitations, making it harder to choose where they want to play. Because, or, I, don't, I don't know how quite to articulate it, but it, yeah. it puts limitations on, the, on how and how much they can get from their, from their name, image, and likeness. I don't see how that protects the student-athlete, King George. I really don't. Yeah, the only thing that I would say, um, the only thing that I could see how it would help is um, competitively, it, it might bring more parity to sports because you aren't seeing schools just pay out money, right? You're, he doesn't want pay for play, I mean, and you can't entice them. You can't take, them from other, take athletes from other schools and whatnot. But um, these, these guardrails should have been thought of before they allowed NIL. So they should have had a plan in place to introduce NIL. Now that the cat has been let out of the bag, you're not going to be able to put it back. No, you're not. And, and you're, you're not. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt yeah, you. That's good. You're not going to be able to do it, especially if you don't allow the athletes a voice in the room in right. putting these up. Meaning... Yeah. They need to be able to collectively bargain these guardrails. Yeah. And of course you can't do that if you don't if they're not technically employees of the school. Yeah. I, I, because you can't unionize without being employees, but that's where we are. <laughs> that's where we are in college football. You can't let these back out of the bag because without being threatened with lots of litigation yes. that's going to be exactly. upheld by the Supreme Court. This was a 9-0 de- decision. In the Olsen case, this wasn't 5-4, this wasn't 6-3, it wasn't even 7-2 or 8-1, it was 9-0. Yeah, for years and years and years, the NCAA were breaking antitrust laws, and that's what they were, there. if any time, like we've even talked about this within, in regards to like the transfer portal, if the NCAA really wants to enforce a rule saying that they... Uh, they can only have one transfer, and then you're going to have to get a waiver. They're going to start handing out waivers because these kids can lawyer up and say, hey, these guys aren't letting me transfer. They're, they denied my request. And once again, the NCAA is going to be in litigation. And so now we've seen where kids are just getting uh, waivers to transfer. There's even waivers more and more left and, more. and right, yeah. There's just too many antitrust laws. To, to jump around for the NCAA. It seems like they're losing power, and whatever Klyovkov wants to go with with these guardrails, it's not going to work because they can't. They can't do it. it, it it's, legally, they're legal, it's legally impossible to do it yeah. without allowing them to collectively bargain. That's where I'm at with it. Um, speaking of that, Klyovkov also had some things to say about what treating – student-athletes as employees would be for the sport and the conference. It's time for us to consider steps we can take to fairly recognize our student-athletes' contributions and more appropriately allocate the resources created through athletics without fundamentally changing the role of our educational institutions. While I do not believe that our student-athletes should be treated as employees, we must recognize and meaningfully address the extraordinary ways in which they contribute to our athletic programs, campuses, and communities. There are many reasons why treating student-athletes as employees would be detrimental. 
There could be a draft system, and athletes would lose the choice of which school to attend. They could lose their ability to transfer between schools. In fact, professional athletes are typically subject to trades or being fired for poor performance. I mean, he's not wrong about some of those unintended consequences. I mean, it, I would think that I, I thought this through a little bit. I would think that there would be probably a draft system. Um, I think that Might hurts be better for the sport anyway. Yeah, I think that hurts the coaches and the programs more yeah. than it does the players. Um, I, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you you not being able to choose where you go to school is that the academic part of that is problematic if there was a draft. Um, can I just mention something to King George here a little bit though? Uh, they already fire scholarship athletes. Yeah, they, they, they nullify scholarships all the time. Year to year. They already get fired and lose their educational pro- opportunities because we hear four-year scholarship, but it's really one it's it's really four one-year scholarships and coaches find ways to nullify those all the time. It's already professional sports. I think we just I think the NCAA, I think the Power 5, I think all the FBS conferences would do better to lean into that more than to try to fight against it. Yeah, the one thing that I would say though is that um any any league that has gone up against the NFL has failed. So you got to you got to kind of stay away from competing with the NFL because when it comes to college football, the NFL has been nice to allow them to have Saturdays. But as soon as that Saturday, as soon as college football is done playing, NFL takes over Saturdays too. So if, if you want to if you want to start leaning towards a more professional thing, if you're going to try to compete with the NFL, I don't know if that's a great business model. Yeah, and who knows? I, I think it would depend on what the NFL's reaction is to it because if the NFL – I don't know that the NFL feels threatened by college football. No, yeah, I don't think they do. And I don't think they would just if they started to – if they started to make athletes employees and allow them to collectively bargain and stop trying to put guardrails on things like that, to use George Klyovkov's word um, – I don't know that just automatically the NFL is going to be like, oh, they're competing with us. I think that it's more likely that they would allow college football to have Saturdays and do their thing. Um, I think it. I think as long as college football isn't saying, hey, we're coming after the NFL, all uh, the way uh, Donald Trump ruined the USFL back in the day, right? Yeah, he didn't just ruin the country, people. He ruined, he <laughs> ruined spring football for a minute um, in the 80s. Uh, but I digress. Uh, so I think that I think that college football would do would be better served. I don't know if moving. I'm not saying they should move to the spring, but they'd be better served to say, "Hey, we're going to try to compete with the new USFL. We're going to try to compete with the XFL, stay while well, stay playing in the fall, and be the best minor league pro minor pro league in the world, which they already are, right?" Um, I would think that if they did lean into that, that would be the direction to go in. Uh, moving on, though, I I feel like in contrast to the way George Klyovkov was talking about these big NIL and treating athletes and employees, and now Whitt- Kyle Whittingham didn't touch those things, 
but I feel like his mindset about the changing world of college football, ching, changing landscape, was in stark contrast, and I, I honestly loved it. So here's the first thing. First, I just want to hear you. I just want to hear everyone hear how he referred to <laughs> the changing landscape of college football in this first clip. He did it in the most Kyle Whittingham way possible. Okay, with all the uh, stuff, I guess you could say that's going on in college football, it's good to be uh, finally getting back to getting on the field and, and actually practicing and being with your guys and and uh, getting the season going. So uh, excited about that. Yeah, he just called it all the stuff. I mean, that's so that's such a witism right there. Just downplay these these huge things we're losing our minds over. Oh, it's just a bunch of stuff. Right? Just stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Life goes on. Absolutely. And then uh, he was asked immediately after that, after his classic, uh, the cl- another Kyle Whittinghamism, where he he gives his opening statement, and then he just pauses and goes, "Questions." Well, here's here's what was the his answer to the first question. He was asked about his opinion on the changing landscape of college football and, and the future of the sport. Yeah, well, the future is uh, really anybody's best guess. So uh, the landscape is changing rapidly. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see anything close to what we're you know been used to the last 50 years in college football. It's all changing and and uh, it's a completely different world. But but uh, it is the world we're in right now, and so you got to adapt. As a football coach, you know, it's no control over the, those type of things that are going on. It's uh, really administration and, and the commissioners that are handling that, obviously. And, you know, from my, my perspective, it's all about our team this season and recruiting. That's where I keep my focus and, and don't really spend any time uh, thinking about much else. And I don't think he's lying. I, don't, I really don't think he thinks about much else besides coaching and recruiting. I mean, that, it's his life. He's that kind of a coach. Um, but I just loved how he said we got to adapt. He sounded like Mike Bray after the a few months after kids were sorry athletes were able to start making money off their NIL when he said stop complaining shut up and adjust that yep. that's what it sounded like to me Kyle Whittingham talking about the future of the sport but yeah you just got to figure it out right um, but one thing I would say though is that when it comes to recruiting a lot of these recruits are going to be asking Kyle Whittingham is your team going to be in the Pac-12 still when I show up? Are, are, we still, are they still going to be a Power 5 team? Are they, which conference are they going to be in? So I think to that point, when he says you know, he's focused on recruiting, there's a lot of questions he's got to answer and tell recruits. And maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe he straight up tells them. We have no idea. But what we do know is we're going to be a good football team. And it's well put. I, would, I wonder if and, – and developing guys putting guys in the NFL has always been part of Utah's recruiting pitch because they they can point to the draft especially the last few years You're like we had this many guys drafted we got this many guys signed to uh undrafted free agent contracts right away right out of college every year right and so i wonder if it's more of a focus on that to i mean for lack of a better word distract recruits from I don't that's not a good word to use but to kind of distract them from thinking about all the concern all the valid concerns about hey are you guys going to be in the power five what's the power five going to be like um are you guys a good school in that regard to to sign up to play for I wonder if they're more focusing on okay your ultimate goal is to play in the NFL right I mean we'll get you there no matter what league we play in 
and I think it I think it's a good strategy if that's the way it's going. But yeah, it's a it's well put by you that he's got to think about some of that because it goes hand in hand with their recruiting pitch. Right. Uh, and this last one from Wit, he he was sit, this is when he was sitting with uh, Bill Riley yesterday at Pac-12 Media Day. He said Bill asked him about conversations they've had in the past where Wit predicted these super conferences that are happening. 16 to 20 team super conferences bill says that happened four or five years ago <laughs> wit was talking about that stuff and he just asked him if he's changed his mind about that okay. not a bit i think that's where it's heading you know is it 20 teams is it 16 uh whatever the whatever that number is but that's where it's heading more of a minor league nfl model than, than the collegiate model that we've known forever and uh with nil and the transfer portal and and the shifting of every, I mean, it's everything's going to be different. So you better get used to it. There it is again. You just better get used to it. And yeah. I think, and I listen. I, I'm going to say this, but I there's no way Wit was responding to George Klyovkov by saying that. I think that they all have a lot of respect for their commissioner as they should, um, and I do too. Um, but. It feel it felt like he heard what what George Klyovkov had to say, and he was almost saying, "Well, King George, better get used to it. This is the way things are." And I just I love that perspective. He didn't he wasn't reacting to what George Klyovkov said. I don't think that anyone had any disagreements with what he said. It's certainly not to my to the extent that I have had. Um, but I I love the response anyway. We this is the way things are. And we, we just got to get used to it and adapt and adjust. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think even though if we're going to get used to it, adapt and adjust, uh, this could ruin college football, right, for forever. Um, if you look back, what like the biggest, the top three sports back in like 1900 in the United States were like auto racing, boxing, and uh, what, like wrestling? Yeah. But still the top three, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, boxing has been ruined. It, it, it seems like there's a lifespan to sports, and what I'm fearful of is that we might see the downfall of, of college football. Now, it might that's like extreme view yeah. of it, but it could be the start of the end of, of our, it, our it, favorite sport here. It could be, but I would say that if they keep pushing back on these things, that's going to contribute to the downfall more than leaning into it. That's yeah. that's as much. That's how I feel about it. If, if it's inevitable, the more you stop, the more you resist change, the worse things get for the things that you want to keep the same. That's how. That's what I've observed. Um, I, yeah, I'm not that old, but those are the things <laughs> yeah. that I've observed. Hey, look, over if, the years, if if, if if Amazon would have stayed with books, right? They would not be the the most valuable. Country. Netflix, net, you know, Netflix got so huge by by continuing to do mail in DVDs, mail in rentals all the time, right? They didn't change. Look, no, yeah. <laughs> they they Sometimes saw the pivot. landscape. So we'll see. We'll see if it, if the pivot pays off. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Um, all that being said, George Klyovkov actually did a good job of selling optimism. I just, I'm just tired of that part of the NIL conversation. We gotta stop saying we, this is a good thing, while also saying let's rein it in. You can't do it. That is such a contradiction, and it does not serve the athletes that George Klyovkov has said that is his focus to serve. That's not doing it, George. 
coming up on the other side, I'm excited about this. We got Paul Pugmire, host of Utah Golf Radio, coming back on back-to-back weeks. Or well, we were off last week, but back-to-back shows with Paul. Uh, this time to talk about Tony Finau's win at the 3M last week, and could he make it back-to-back? with a win at the Rocket Mortgage Classic this week. He's one shot back of the lead. Uh, we'll get that. We'll get Paul's thoughts on that and some of the Live Tour news that's happened this week as well. This is Sports Saturday with Bryce Larson and James Peterson on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back to Sports Saturday. Really excited for this next segment. Tony Finau got his third career win last week, Bryce, with a, a thrilling comeback at the 3M. Uh, and awesome. we've got, yeah, we've got uh, Utah Golf Radio host Paul Pugmire on with us to discuss it. You can listen to Utah Golf Radio every Saturday morning right before us between uh, from 8 to 10 a.m. right here on ESPN 700. Paul. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? So good to be with you guys. Doing great. Yeah, I know. You joined us from the road. You're, you're rescuing some family up in uh, Butte. Is that what yeah. you said? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're halfway to Butte right now. Oh, okay. It's, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> well, good luck with all that. We're, we're uh, hoping for the best there, that you can get all that straightened out with your family there. But uh, we didn't have you on to talk about that. We have you on to talk about Tony Finau. Third career win. Go. Yeah, go Tony. Third career win um, but be- at the 3M last week. But before we get into that, let's l- let's talk about current events. Last week, that win was so last week. He's in contention to win back-to-back now at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Yeah, no kidding, right? Tony is on a fizz. He is, he's putting up low numbers. Uh, last week, obviously with a win, holy cow, win on the PGA Tour, you've got to put together four good rounds. He totally did it. Good rounds uh, in the mid-60s, four days in a row. And then it comes right out of the box at the Rocket Mortgage on a great Donald Ross course in Detroit, the Detroit Golf Club. And um, Tony comes out and uh, opens with a slick little 64 and chases that with a 65. And he's solo, too, going into the weekend. Uh right in position to just do the same thing again this week. So, Paul, I wanted to ask you, are there certain course conditions that, that Tony favors or that favors Tony's type of and style of play? Yeah, you know, that's, that's always the case. And, and that actually starts with something that just exists in, in the mind, in the heart, in the eyes of individual players. When a golf course the phrase we use always is it fits my eye, which means that when you look at a course, it sets itself up for your shot shape. It sets itself up for the kind of, of looks that you like, for the kinds of shots that you like. It's very subjective. But when a player feels comfort, when a player feels kind of at home and a course is fitting their eye, they play with more freedom. And you just see it over and over throughout the years that the great players who play with freedom play at their very best. And that's what I see in Tony. You know, he and I had a a conversation uh, a few weeks prior to the the 3M in Minnesota that he won. And uh, 
he said, when, when are you coming out to see me again, Paul? I said, Tony, where should I go? And he goes, oh, come to Minnesota. I'm comfortable there. I like that golf course. And um, boy, howdy. It, uh, it, it, apparently so. Apparently he was very comfortable there because he really went low and he came away with the win. So, yeah, when a course fits a player's eye is when they really do well on it. So, wait, did you make the trip out to Minnesota then? <laughs> nearly nearly made it, darn it. I, uh, I, I, I kicked that one. Error, Paul. I didn't make it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, that's too bad. But, hey, it was fun to watch on TV from here in Utah as well. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on this because it feels like this is – kind of come out of nowhere this this really good stretch of play for him because it's not like he's played terribly Paul but he's kind of just floated around the cut line it seems like in a lot of his tournaments particularly the majors um the last the last uh, throughout this year in the last few years uh and then all of a sudden he's winning he's doing a comeback win in Minnesota at the 3M last week he's at the top of the rocket mortgage for me it seemed it it looked like it may have started at the weekend at the open, but uh, what's your perspective there? When did all this start where he was able to put this all together and, and play the way he's playing now? What a great question. And statistically, you're exactly right. It picked up on Saturday at the Open Championship, or more specifically, on the 36th hole of the Open Championship. That would be number 18 on Friday. Number 18 on Friday, Tony's on the tee, one shot out of making the cut, one shot out of playing the weekend. He needs a birdie on 18 in order to, to, to play the weekend. And 18 at St. Andrews is a gettable hole, but it also has ways of biting you back. And gettable or not, you've got to execute, right? So Tony executes, makes a birdie, and play, plays his way into the weekend on the number. Then, then on the weekend... He, he goes low and finishes with a really slick 66 on Sunday. So two strong rounds on the weekend at the Open. Then he goes to the 3M, and as, a, as we noted, four strong rounds there. And so then, then he opens at Detroit, at Rocket Mortgage, with two more really strong rounds. So he's got eight rounds in a row now that are starting with a six. It's our favorite thing. <laughs> and uh, And really playing great so tony has found a comfort level and he has found a uh, a, a a performance that simply is better than what's around him right now and so statistically yes it started uh with the saturday round at the open but qualitatively there's something else that's been going on with tony here lately and we had his caddy mark urbanic on utah golf radio uh Oh, month, month and a half ago, talking about adjustments Tony was making in his wedge game to hit his wedge shots with less spin so that when they would land on the green, they would hold position instead of spinning back. And so technically, making that adjustment, which is hard and takes a lot of work, but making that adjustment to hit his wedge shots with less spin is probably the tipping point that's got him into this uh into this this ability to be delivering so well and playing so well right now 
And now, now I want to talk about last week. So, it, I mean, especially Sunday. He goes into the Sunday, like, looked like he had no shot of winning the tournament going to the final <laughs> round. Scott Piercy <laughs> had a yeah. nice lead. And then all of a sudden, and then if they just, like, switched places, Paul. What, what did you see uh, last week in his win, and specifically that final round on Sunday with that thrilling comeback? Yeah, a couple things, and it, it – it was uh, equal parts Scott Piercy uh, imploding and falling back, and then Tony taking advantage of the situation and moving forward. And it happened so stupid quick, uh, all in the space of 15, maybe 20 minutes. It went from Tony being four down to Tony being three up. And uh, Tony didn't even see it all happen, and he talked about it in his post-round interview that we posted in its entirety on our podcast, the Utah Golf Radio podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear it. But um, but Tony said, you know, I, I, I didn't even see it all unfold. I just uh, looked up at a sport thinking I was four down and it had me three ahead. And I'm going, what the heck? I better, I better go win this. And so it, let's start with Scott Piercy. He just started playing shots that were just a little sloppy and they weren't bad shots they were just a little loose and then on the 14th hole uh, he just made a mess of it and hit a shot that he never should have even tried he was in the bunker in a bad situation and tried to hit a hero shot and just got into worse trouble from there and look I'm sympathetic to Piercy on this it is the simplest lesson that we all should learn as kids, but it is the hardest lesson that we all never learn as adults. <laughs> and that is when you get into trouble, take your medicine, get back into play, give up one shot so that you don't end up giving up four. Well, Piercy missed on that. He tried to hit the hero shot when he needed to just chip sideways. It led to a really big hole. And man, then he looked like he was hit upside the head and he was walking around with this dazed look on his face like a like an extra from night of the living dead <laughs> and continued to fall apart from there and so during that time those same exact few minutes tony was making four birdies on the back side and bam bam tony goes from from four down to three up and the tournament was his but it was a stunning change of events and there's a couple of lessons in there for Piercy. The and when you, for us, when we get into trouble, take your medicine. For Tony and for us, keep trying. You just don't know how it's going to play out. So, Paul, I wanted to get your thoughts um, on my favorite golfer, Ricky Fowler. Um, Ricky's a guy yeah. that was the number one ranked amateur golfer in the world for 36 weeks from 2007-2008. He uh, right. he reached to what fourth in the world golf rankings after he won in Abu Dhabi in, in 2016. So I wanted to ask you what's been going on recently with Ricky Fowler and why hasn't he been able to break through? Um, well, you're sure right to identify Ricky as a superlative talent. Uh, he's got all the tools and he has demonstrated that both as an amateur and then later uh, as a professional on, on the tour. And when he was in the top five in the world rankings, he had a stretch 
where for four consecutive majors, he had top five finishes in all those majors in a row. He was playing great golf. He is a personality and a business mind that uh, really lends himself to a lot of opportunities off the golf course. And he gave a lot of attention to those. He gave a, gave a lot of attention to building his brand and taking advantage of what that brand could mean. And then during that time period also, uh, he found the love of his life. and They got married and had a beautiful little baby girl. And you add all that up. And what it looks like from the outside is he had too much going on in order to maintain the kind of focus and the kind of single-mindedness that is required to play at the top level in any sport or perform at the top level of the world in any endeavor. And uh, it kind of showed. Now, Ricky is showing flashes of himself. Um, he's, he has talked about getting his focus back. And look, it's physics. Cream rises. Ricky Fowler is cream. His talent will come through. I think he's climbing back. I think we are long ways away from hearing the last of Ricky Fowler. Paul, I think we'll let you go on that one. Really appreciate the insights on uh, Tony Finau's hot play. Hopefully, he can. Uh, hopefully, he can keep it going and uh, pull back into the lead here at the Rocket Mortgage on in the weekend. He gets. He tees off about 15 minutes from now. So we're, we're pulling for Tony here. Good thoughts about Ricky Fowler as well. And have a nice drive. Good luck with everything with your family <laughs> up in Butte. And uh, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, guys. We'll see you. Paul Pugmire, host of Utah Golf Radio. We're going to call that our uh, PGA Tour. And live leaderboard update. We didn't really oh, get yeah. into the live thing um, with Paul. Didn't have much time to do that. But that's brought to you by the Salt Lake City Golf Courses. Um, right now, I'll just give you a quick glance of the leaderboard here. Taylor Pendrith, one shot ahead of Tony Finau at the Rocket Mortgage Classic at 15 under. Tony at 14 under. Lee Hodges at 12 under. In third, Tyler Duncan at 11 under. And a bunch of other guys at 11 under in fourth. Um, Tony, like I just said, Tony and Taylor Pendrith, the leaders, um, are teeing off right after we get done at noon, uh, about 11 minutes from now. You can watch that on ESPN Plus, by the way. The Live Tour is in Bedminster, New Jersey. Um, they, at least going into today, I think they teed off their uh, second round um, today as they go 54 holes instead of 72 Patrick Reed and Henrik Stenson, two bigger names who used to be on the PGA and European Tour, tied at the top of that at seven under um, in Bedminster, New Jersey. That's your PGA Tour and Live Tour leaderboard update brought to you by the Salt Lake City Golf Courses. Download the SLC Golf app today to book your tee times. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show. If we've got time, I've been teasing it, that trade that potential trade with the Jazz that you got to hear to believe and some of the latest with Donovan Mitchell. And, of course, we'll, we'll tell you what we're lo most looking forward to in the sports weekend. That's next on Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. Welcome back to Sports Saturday, ESPN 700. Just a couple minutes left in the show. 
And you know what? This is a good song choice, Olivia, because I I think the Jazz like that Russell Westbrook is broken like them. And they want to be lonely together. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. Foster the people. We'll see. That we'll was see. unintentional. And totally, totally planned, Olivia just said in my ear. Yeah, I knew it. It worked perfectly. By the way, that live tour event working out pretty well for. Okay, I got to stop with that joke. Um, before we get into that, that potent, that trade rumor and the Donovan Mitchell stuff as we wrap up the show, got to tell you, join ESPN 700 and the Real Salt Lake Team Store every home game for a chance to win an item of the match. Visit the Team Store each week leading up to the leading up to where. There is an enter-to-win box at the team store. After each home game, five winners will be picked. Those winners will qualify for the ultimate prize worth $1,500. This promotion is powered by the RSL team store and the Utah Department of Health's CHIP Healthcare for Kids. Um, and, of course, Sandy Concert Series coming back to in full swing, really brought to you by Strong VW coming to Rio Tinto Stadium. We've already had a few events. Visit ESPN700sports.com for details and to see what other events are coming up out at the Riot this summer. Let's talk about, because I just let the cat out of the bag, let's talk about the Russell Westbrook thing here first, Bryce. And I'm sure it's not like it's not like people aren't on social media. They saw it too. They saw Shams' report. Yeah. Um, those that uh, those that follow him on Twitter and uh, subscribe to the Athletic, you saw that the Jazz might be interested in acquiring one Russell Westbrook, or as Dan Patrick says on these airwaves weekday mornings, Russell Westbrook Jr. the <laughs> third. Um, Russell Westbrook. How I just think this is wild, I, and I. Also, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Jazz, not on the court. That's not why they they would do the trade, but I think it makes some sense. I mean, what's what's your reaction to that potential rumor? I would never have guessed that that would be something the Jazz would be interested in, but from what Shams said, the haul that they would get back, I don't think it's a bad thing for the Jazz to do if they decide to do it. Yeah, if they were to do it, I don't think Russell Westbrook would step onto the court for the Jazz. That's my personal opinion, just with the, the history between Utah and Russell Westbrook. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see and kind of the personality that Russell is. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him not even play. He would be more of just another piece that you could move in a potential future trade. Uh, so, and if he did end up stepping onto the court for the Jazz in a Jazz uniform, those beautiful highlighter yellow uniforms, um, I don't know how you, the Utah Jazz fans would react to that. It would be really interesting to see, uh, you know, if he if he gets booed from the home <laughs> home fans. I've heard some Jazz fans talk about it where they they would not take to it lightly. See, I just hope it happens because. For for people who have the jobs that we have, it's just going to be endless content. Yeah, right? that's content for that's sure. That's content. That's a content generator, and I would thank Danny Ainge for the rest of my life for bringing that to me and my you might career. Might as well add right? Ben Simmons to the mix, right? Yeah, let's just let's get Ben Simmons and Russell. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the, this would be fantastic from an entertainment and from a media standpoint, talking point standpoint. Um, and then you add that on the fact that they just traded for Pat for Patrick Beverly. And if you, in case you've been living under the rock 
under a rock for the last 10 years or you just missed it. Uh, they don't like each other. Yeah. He blames – it goes back to when Pat Bev went at his knee in the first round of the playoffs back in twenty four or 2013, and he blew out his knee. He believes – and he said it over and over again. He believes that Pat, Patrick Beverly did that on purpose and tried to take him out. Um, it goes back to that, probably even other stuff, but that's the public thing that we all trace it back to. They do not like each other. And I, I particularly Westbrook doesn't like Pat Bev. So to have them on the same team would be a fantastic storyline as well. Here's what's more realistic, though. What you said about him, if the trade goes down, he probably doesn't show up. I see it as more of like a the way Andre Iguodala handled being traded to Memphis. He said, I don't want to play. You guys can keep me as long as you can if you want to try to trade me, fine. Um, or we can talk about a buyout. He ended up getting traded to the Heat after being technically on the roster for half a season in, in 2019-20, um, but didn't play a game. Uh, so that's what I see. I see it being a similar situation to that if this trade happens. Um, there may be – I could see them trying to buy him out. I could see – I could see them trying to keep him till the trade deadline, on at least on the books till the trade deadline, and and try to work out another trade where Danny can get another first round pick, maybe. Um, and I would think that Patrick Beverly is going to the Lakers <laughs> in this case because I don't think, I I don't think the Jazz want to touch the Patrick Beverly yeah. uh, Russell Westbrook locker room, and the just in case Westbrook is okay with suiting up for the Jazz. Uh, so that's realistically the other thing is Shams didn't say who was who'd be on their way to LA. I there's been rumors that they like Malik Beasley, um, so maybe he's involved. You got to think a combination of Conley or Bogey or Beverly, and maybe Beasley, if not all of them, would be on the way back. That's a big contract. They might need to send them all yeah, <laughs> to right. make the money work, right? But the thing that's attractive for the Jazz. Westbrook's on an expiring contract. That's huge cap space for next summer. $47 million worth of it. That's a lot. And the Lakers, Shams is saying the Lakers might part with two first-round picks. I mean, that's worth it if I'm the Jazz. Yeah, that could be worth it. Um, you know that that's what uh, that's what Danny Ainge is out for is picks, and the first-round uh, picks are the ones that he wants. So, um you can't say if it does go down i don't think it's it's a it's a bad thing it helps the rebuild a little bit better also hey it might make our lives a little bit more interesting <laughs> next year if we can if like if you're gonna suck you might as well have something to talk about uh going forward and and that would be definitely and have some passion the, right bring, yeah bring the circus to utah let's go absolutely uh and then real quick is we gotta we gotta get out of here um but uh want to want to talk about the latest with Donovan Mitchell. So a few more teams have been added in the same Shams report that talked about the potential Westbrook trade. He talked about the Hornets, the Wizards, the Hawks, the Kings, and Raptors also trying to throw their hat in the ring to get in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. For the Jazz, I think there's really one team out of that group that makes sense that could give them close to what the Knicks could offer, if not better than what the Knicks can offer, and that's the Raptors. Uh, the Jazz could ask for OG Ananobi, and they could ask for Gary Trent Jr., two very good young players on pretty good team-friendly contracts relative to their talent. Um, 
that's better than any of the players that they'd get, like current players that they'd get back from the Knicks, uh, even with Quentin Grimes and Manuel Quickly's potential. OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. are already better than them yeah. um, and still really young. And they can offer, I think, up to four unprotected first-round picks. Now, that's less than what the Knicks can offer, and those picks are likely to be worse. Like in, They're likely to be lower than the Knicks will be or could be, um, but that's still a lot of picks and two solid role players, young role players that they can try to build, try to get some stars to help with those guys to help build around some stars that they might be able to acquire with the draft capital. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, so it seems like that would be the two ways. I don't know if you saw this, though, uh, but Donovan Mitchell was spotted with Jalen Brunson at the uh, New York Mets game oh. over these la- couple days ago. So I don't know. Did they go together or were they just, just happened to be there? Hmm. Interesting. Intrigue. <laughs> Off-season intrigue. Some TMZ reports. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting no matter what, but I think it's good that the Jazz have another team like Tor- another potential trade partner like Toronto in case they in case Leon Rose and the Knicks decide, you know what? No, that's too rich for our blood. The Raptors would be a pretty good alternative from the Jazz perspective, I feel like. Yep. Uh, real quick, we don't have time to list everything that's going on in the station. I will I will promote that we got RSL in San Jose tonight, pregame at 7, kick at 8 here on ESPN 700. Uh, what are you most looking forward to? Is that RSL game or are you looking – or maybe seeing Tony Finau today try to close it out? So for today I'm going to go with, with the RSL game, but tomorrow I'll, I will be watching the Rocket Mortgage. So – yeah, I think I think I for the whole weekend I'm looking forward to see if Tony can make it back to back wins. I want to see if RSL can get back on the right path. Yeah, that last game, so many attempts, so many chances, and they just couldn't get it done against Dallas. Yeah, it's disappointing. So I want to see if they can get it done. Yeah, definitely. For tonight, I'm with you. That's that's what I'm looking. That's what I'm most looking forward to. But but big picture for the whole weekend, I'm I'm excited about this about Tony Finau. Let's see if he can make it back to back wins that's gonna do it for us though way over time i'm james peterson that's bryce larson thank you so much for joining us until this until next time this has been sports saturday on your home of the utes and rsl utah's number one sports talk espn 700 and the espn 700 app with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.